Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. We're going to be reading from the 45th chapter of Genesis. <clears throat> now, and I know these are girl glasses, so I don't want to hear about it afterwards. But um, <clears throat> this story that unfolds about Joseph is a wild drama. It's a crazy story. And it starts, of course, with his brothers being jealous because father favored him, made him this really cool coat and all of that. And they decided that they were going to get him and they sold him into slavery. He gets sold into slavery, goes to Egypt and through a number of unanticipated circumstances where he had the ability to interpret dreams, he ends up the number two man in Egypt. But along the way, he predicts a, a horrific drought that is coming and that Egypt is to store up their grain in preparation for that drought. And the word gets out, and the drought is beginning to hit in Canaan, and so Jacob and the 11 sons that are left, well, he sends 10 of the boys to Egypt to get some provisions. They come in. Joseph recognizes them right away, but it's been a number of years now. They don't recognize him because... He's in his royal Egyptian regalia. And so he, he toys with them. It's a cat and mouse thing. And he says that they're spies and gives them all kinds of trouble. But then sends them home, but he puts the money back in the grain sacks. And they're petrified. They're afraid because they, they think that something has happened and that they're going to get killed by this powerful man. But he says that he wants, he wants his younger brother, Benjamin. Joseph was, along with Benjamin, the natural child of both, of both Isaac and, pardon me, of Jacob and Rebekah. And so those two were very close. So he wants his younger brother to come. Well, Judah, one of the bro other brothers, says to the, son, to, to the dad, I will protect him. I'll make sure that everything is okay. And, and so they, they bring Benjamin, and when they come a second time, he, Joseph throws a huge banquet for them. And he gives Benjamin, his little brother, five times the amount that everyone else gets. But they're so stunned because they're eating with the, the most powerful man in Egypt, save the Pharaoh. And then when they're done, Joseph now wants them to go back again. And this time he wants them to go back and bring back Jacob. But he wants, he wants to keep Benjamin with him. And Judah steps up and goes into a long speech about the anguish of his father 
at the thought that he might lose his second son because he thought that, that Joseph had been torn up by lions. And he was so anguished that he would lose the second son that it would bring him to his grave. And Joseph hears this and he's, he's overcome. And, and these brothers are all just so, so very broken and so, so in anguish over what's gone on. And they're feeling the guilt of selling their brother into slavery. And here they are and they're, they're trying to manage all of this. Finally, Joseph can't hold back anymore. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out, of you, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I... Am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? Is he okay? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of him. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. and He said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here. He sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. I hurried back to my father. Tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me all, and all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, everything you own, I will take care of you there. For there is still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you and your household, all your animals will starve. And Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves and so many, and so, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you've seen and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced his brother Benjamin. And Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they were talking freely with him. And God had his understanding to this hearing of his word. This follows the drama of real people, ordinary people, trying to cover for themselves. It's it's just the mess of the human condition. 
So Jacob, going way back, he stole the birthright from his brother Esau. And so he, he was not a trustworthy man. And he, he was trying to live up to a higher standard, but he was always haunted by the fact that he, he had swindled birthright from his brother. And these boys are born to him, 12 of them, 12 sons. And they, well, they're wrangling among, them, among themselves. They're, they're competitive, and they, they're trying to get the advantage on, on one another. And, and Jacob, out of just sheer love, and perhaps with the fact that he's growing older, and these are... And, and Joseph and Benjamin are his youngest sons of his favorite wife, Rebecca. Well, he's showing him favoritism. Makes him that coat of many colors and, and uh, gives him all kinds of advantages. And then Joseph has this dream that his brothers and Jacob are all going to bow down to him. <laughs> they wanted nothing to do with this. So they are going to show Joseph, and so they, they sell him into slavery, and off he goes to Egypt, and he, he ends up in prison. And they go back with that multicolored coat, and they show Jacob blood on the coat. Not at all dissimilar to how Jacob deceived his father Isaac by by taking an animal skin and putting it on him because his brother was a, a hairy man. And so all of, all of this gives rise to a tremendous amount of, of anguish and guilt. They carry this with them. These aren't small infractions that they just for, sort of forget along the way. These are, these are major life-changing events. And so the boys sell their brother into slavery and deceive their father. Joseph goes into the house of Potiphar where he's very successful. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He resists and she accuses him of sexual misconduct, has him thrown into prison. He thinks he's going to rot in prison and then God gives him an interpretation of a dream or two dreams that two of them in prison had. And so he gets out and he gets to be the the number two man in all of Egypt. And when his brothers show up, he's thinking, this is my chance to get them back. All of this conniving, all of this covering, all of this manipulation of human relationships, and then Joseph, in toying with his brothers, sends them back and with threats and gets them afraid because the money's returned in their sack. And then when Benjamin is sent back the second time after they bring him to Egypt, Joseph has his own personal silver cup put in his grain sack and then sends somebody out to catch them. They open the sack and, and there is Joseph's cup. That's when they haul them all back into the court. And Joseph's working. But what comes out is all of this anguish. 
All of this hurt, all of this pain, it just comes pouring out from all of the brothers. They're standing there afraid that, that, that Benjamin is going to be taken from them and that their father will die and it'll be all their fault. And how can they manage this? How can they control this? How can they fix this? And they can't. So much of life. Why do we try to have, why do we always have to try to cover our stuff? Why can't we just own it? We don't have to own it publicly. We don't have to tell everyone. But if we can just own our stuff and, and take it to God, and if we find one that we can really trust to take it to that other, but we've got to be able to own our own stuff and, and be, just be human with one another. Because none of us, none of us can rise above the others. You know, some can do better in this and better in that. We, we know that from just life. We know that there are different gifts that people, that people have, and those gifts, some, some gifts are really re remarkable, and some people do really well in life, and others do really poorly, but does it really matter? Why do we have to cover? Why can't we just own it? You know, the church is one of the worst places for this. People are so afraid to come to church for being judged. This should be the place where we don't have to put on the pretense, where we can be people of truth, where we can own our stuff. But instead, we're in a place where we have to try to cover. Just like out there, we do the same thing in here. And it gets us nowhere. We don't arrive where we think we're going to go. We cannot, well, let's face it. I was co commenting to someone recently, talk about management of people. <laughs> it's really kind of a joke. People are not managed. We have a hard enough time managing ourselves. It's just language that we use. The reality is we have to we have to just be people with one another. And so when we come to church and we talk about the forgiveness of sins, we have to acknowledge the, that reality that we do, we sin. And then it's a great big so what? So we do. And, and yes, we do. And so let's go from here. So all of those efforts to cover up have created this big drama, this big mess. And as you survey your own life, you can think of whatever dramas or messes that you've experienced or watched. And if we can just move from the reality that, that we're not above our humanity and embrace it. And how does this get broken? I believe that it's just the rise in Joseph's heart of this deep passion, this deep pathos that he has as he encountered his own guilt at toying with his brothers 
and threatening the life of his father. I believe that, that Joseph had such a sense of passion about this that he did something that I'm not even sure he knew he was going to do. He stepped forward and disclosed himself. He told the truth about himself. He stood forward with tears and said, I am, and he used his Hebrew name, Joseph. I'm your brother. And they're all weeping and they're all hugging each other. And they're all acknowledging the reality that none of them, none of them has done the right thing here. So they embrace they come together, they're united, and they all, they all own their stuff. And, and it's the word of truth that breaks all that pretense. That self-disclosure, where they come forward and, and say, yes, we did this and we did that. Joseph's word of truth gave them the, the permission to tell the truth about their lives. And as they, as they do, all of them begin to think, none of what is happening here is really as important as dad back home. He's the one who really matters. All of our stuff has threatened him. And so they are going to go get dad and bring dad and, and be a family together again. And he will come with all of it, the flocks and herds and everything. The whole, the whole thing is coming. But that reconciliation happens because the truth was told. The truth came forward. And Joseph, even though he was number two in Egypt, he stepped down to their level by telling the truth. The Apostle Paul, of course, affirms this. And that is by saying, all have sinned. And if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. That's Paul. That's the church. But I say that's church, and the reality is, we're not in the guilt business here. <laughs> We're not here to make you feel guilty. We figure you all feel guilty enough as it is, just like the brothers did. We don't need to make you feel more guilt. Our intent is to make you feel forgiven. To know that God knows, just like Joseph knew who his brothers were, God knows our identity. He knows our sin. He knows the reality of who we are and what we are. He knows that we're broken. And he still loves us. We, we think that because of our, whatever it may be, that we're not lovable. That we're not going to be accepted. And church should be the place where the opposite is true. Because our God truly, fully knows us, and inasmuch as we can tr truly and fully know one another, that we can truly love one another. Otherwise, we're loving an image. We're loving a, 
a projection on a screen. And there's no truth in it. Well, the words of that woman on the, on the opening video, she goes by Night Birdie or Night Bird. This woman has severe cancer. Recently, she had a test. She went to California to get some treatment. They said that she was clear of cancer, and then a subsequent test, it's all back again. So we're probably going to lose that, that sweet woman before too long. But the reality of what she's saying is that we're all broken sometime. And her struggle with the cancer not only gave her a sense of her own brokenness, but a, a sense of her own identity and who she was before God. And that her prayers were not answered just as they were addressed to God, but she still had the ability to recognize God's mercy in the midst of it. And so she says, it's okay. And she writes, I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left behind for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I repeat it until I do. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden from me. Even on days when I'm not so sick, Sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is, is in there, even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. So if we look low enough, we look to the very depths of our own hearts and lives, look to the floor of our own guilt and self-accusation, and God is lower. God meets us there in those places where, where we cannot manage life, where we can't put it all together, and where we've made a mess of things. God meets us there. And he gives us what we need to self-disclose to him who we really are. Joseph said, I am Joseph. We simply say, I am loved. Will you join me in prayer? Thank you, dear Lord, that we are 
thank you out of and after and through all of our efforts to control and manage, we come to realize, as Joseph did, that you sent us here, that, that our managing and controlling didn't really do a thing. You were active all the time, all the time, underneath and through it all. And you brought us here to save us, that we might belong to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.